1 Kings chapter 22, verse 1. And they continued three years without war between Aram and Israel. After Ahab had made that deal with King Ben-Hadad, they had peace for three years. Even though the deal itself was a sin, God is allowing Ahab to live for three more years because God loves Ahab, but Ahab is still ultimately going to die a bitter death for his previous sin. 2. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Judah is more far north, so he went a little south to visit Ahab. 3. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth-Gilead is ours, and we are still, and take it not out of the hand of king Aram? Ahab is saying to his people, We own Ramoth-Gilead, but the king of Aram has taken it from us, and we need to take it back, because God gave that area to us. 4. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people is thy people, my horses is thy horses. That was a good answer, because even though they're kings over separate areas, they're both kings in Israel over Israelites. So it's true that they are brothers in that sense, and they should fight together against the pagans. 5. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Jehoshaphat wants to know the Lord's opinion. It's so smart to always ask the Lord before you do anything. In the Bible, the kings usually ask the Lord before they went to battle because they want to know, is the Lord going to let them win, or is he telling them not to fight at all? And he was faithful to answer them. And you and I should ask the Lord before we do anything. Unless we're obeying his word already, then we already know his answer because it's in the Bible. But for things that we're not sure about, we should ask him. 6. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. They're asking the prophets of Israel because they're not in Judah where the Ark of the Covenant is and the high priest. But they can still ask the Lord by getting a prophecy from the prophets that are in Israel with Ahab. 7. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here besides a prophet of the Lord that we might inquire of him? Jehoshaphat has a feeling that they need more advice. He doesn't know if he can trust all these prophets. And he says, Is there any other prophet who can confirm what they're saying? 8. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Ahab has told King Jehoshaphat, There is another prophet named Micaiah, but he always says that I'm going to lose and I'm not doing right, and that's because of Ahab's past sin. So Ahab hates listening to Micaiah because Micaiah is like a prophet of doom. But this is because Micaiah is telling the truth and not lies. His other prophets are lying. And Jehoshaphat says, let's hear what he says anyway. 9. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Fetch quickly Micaiah the son of Imlah. 10. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah sat each on his throne, arrayed in their robes. Even though the king of Judah is visiting the king of Israel, the king of Israel has set up another throne for the king of Judah to sit on, so that he's not humiliated in the presence of the Israelites. He is a king, so he should be treated as a king. And they were in the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. 
which means they're like in the courthouse of the town because the town gate is where all the legal things are done. And all the prophets prophesied before them. 11. And Zedekiah the son of Chanana made him horns of iron and said, Thus saith the Lord, With these shalt thou gore the Arameans until they be consumed. You know how prophets always enact things. Well, Zedekiah is a prophet and he knows that prophets enact things. So he enacts that Ahab is going to gore out the Arameans. He's made a set of iron horns to wear and he's pretending that he's a bull goring his opponent. But this is not from the Lord. He's made this up. Even if you look like a prophet, even if you put on sackcloth, even if you put on ashes, even if you enact something out, that still doesn't mean that what you're saying is true. If you made it up, it's not true. But if it came from God, then it's true. Zedekiah is making this up. 12. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. They're all prophesying feel-good messages. You're going to win. You're on top of things. God is with you. This is the problem in a lot of churches today, is they only want to prophesy feel-good messages instead of telling people the truth from God. 13. And the messenger that went to call Micaiah spoke unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth, meaning they're all saying the same thing. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak thou good. This guy is giving Micaiah advice, saying, Say something positive, just like the other prophets are saying. The power of positive thinking. Let me tell you, there's no power in positive thinking. It's either God's word, or it's made up. Positive thinking is completely irrelevant. Sometimes God does tell us good things, but if it's from him, it's true, and if it's not from him, it isn't true. This is the positive thinking prophets, which are the same prophets that we have today. 14. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. This is good of him to say this. He's saying, I'm not going to make up my own positive statement. I'm going to say what God tells me to say. 15. And when he was come to the king, the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? That's Ahab talking. And he answered him, Go up and prosper, and the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. He's saying it with sarcasm. And the reason we know it's sarcastic is because of the verses that follow. He didn't say it as a feel-good message. He said it as an insult that I'm telling you what you want to hear. So he says, yeah, go up and prosper. Sure. And the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. 16. And the king said unto him, how many times shall I adjure thee that thou speak unto me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? This is hilarious because Ahab doesn't like the truth. And he doesn't want to hear the truth. What he really wants is for Micaiah to tell him a lie without using sarcasm, like Micaiah has just done. He did tell Ahab the words he wanted to hear, but he used a sarcastic voice when he said it. And Ahab is asking him, can you say it sweetly like the other prophets have said it? That's what he really wants. 17. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. That was an amazing statement because it says two things. Number one, just as Jesus said this very same words, that Israel is like sheep without a shepherd, he said this in the New Testament, which means they're following everyone but God. They're following all of these idols, and they aren't following the true God. Now, Micaiah is saying the same thing. All the Israelites follow idols. They don't follow God. So there is scattered sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. 
But secondly, he's also saying that they're going to lose the battle because if they're scattered as sheep and they're all running home, that means that they definitely lost the war. Because that's what happens when you lose the battle. You don't go home victorious and take your armor off. You hightail it into the woods and you hide. And then you go home later when you have a chance to go home without getting killed. So he's telling Ahab, you're going to lose. 18. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell thee that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Ahab is telling Jehoshaphat, Look, he always says bad stuff about me. 19. And he said, Therefore, hear thou the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him, on his right hand and on his left. 20. And the Lord saith, Who shall entice Ahab, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one saith, On this manner, and another saith, On that manner. 21. And there came forth the Spirit, and stood before the Lord, and said, I will entice him. 22. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he saith, I will go forth, and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt entice him, and shalt prevail also. Go forth and do so. Micaiah is telling Ahab that he knows why all of this is happening, why Ahab wants to go to battle, and why his prophets are telling him he'll win. It's because something happened previously in heaven that Micaiah has seen a vision of. What happened in heaven was the Lord has already decreed that this is how Ahab is going to die. He's going to die in the battle of Ramoth-Gilead. So the Lord has asked all of the spirits, and this includes evil spirits, God controls what the evil spirits do too. So even though they hate him, they have to do what he says when he tells them to. And I know that goes against modern theology, but it's true. God is in charge of the evil spirits as well as the good because he uses them to test our faith. But in this case, he's going to use an evil spirit to get Ahab killed because he already told Ahab, you're going to die because of your previous sins. And he says, Spirits, what do you want to do to make Ahab go to battle in Ramoth Gilead? And some spirits have an idea and some spirits have another. But then one has the idea that God already has ordained. And this spirit says, I know what we'll do. I'll be a lying spirit and I will make all of his prophets lie and tell him that he's going to win when he's actually going to lose. And God says, go do it and I'll make you successful. That messes with a lot of people's theology because they believe, oh, God would never do anything that could cause us harm. Yes, he will to discipline us and to take us out if we won't repent of our sins. And he has every right to because he's God and we're not. That's why we have to repent. Because we're not playing around with the touchy-feely, warm, fuzzy God. We're playing around with a righteous, holy God who's perfect in every way and who we are dust to him. He created us and we have no right to judge him and we have no right to disobey him. That's the real God of the Bible. So anyway, he sent the spirit out and now Ahab knows why and Jehoshaphat knows why. All these prophets have said that he's going to win. And now they both know he's not going to win, but they're going to fight anyway. 23. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. Evil means bad. In the Bible, there's different kinds of evil. The evil that Satan has is a malicious evil. He wants us to go to hell. He wants us to have diseases. He wants us to not be forgiven of our sins. That's malicious. The evil that God sends in our lives is not malicious. It's an evil that would cause us to repent. It means he's sending adversity and trials so that we'll repent of our sins or to glorify his name. He'll sometimes allow us to suffer for his own glory. 
He'll bring evil into the life, even of one of his faithful servants, because when they suffer, he is glorified. But they'll get a crown in heaven for it, and all kinds of rewards for going through that suffering. Don't feel bad if you're following him faithfully and you're suffering anyway. You're going to have a big reward in heaven. There's different kinds of evil. It isn't just malicious evil. And whenever it's talking about evil from the Lord, that is never malicious evil. That's always evil for a purpose, meaning bad circumstances for a purpose. 24. Then Zedekiah the son of Chenana came near. He's the one who was wearing the bull's horns and pretending that Ahab would gore his enemies. He's humiliated by this revelation that he has a lying spirit within him, and he's ashamed and he doesn't want to believe it. So he walks up to Micaiah and smote Micaiah on the cheek, meaning he hit him in the face, and said, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? He's insulting Micaiah back, saying, Okay, so you're claiming that I have an evil spirit that's causing me to lie? Well, where did the spirit go when I hit you? So it's an insult, and it's mocking. 25. And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see on that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. Micaiah is prophesying that Zedekiah, the lying prophet, will die when he's hiding from the pagan forces for his own sin, for lying, and then punishing Micaiah. I'm assuming he'll hide when Ahab loses the battle against the king of Aram. 26. And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and carry him back into Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. They're going to take Micaiah prisoner. 27. And say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in the prison and feed him with scant bread and with scant water until I come in peace. This is the bread and water of affliction, which means you only get enough food and water to survive. You don't get enough to be satisfied, but you'll just get a teeny bit. So it's a type of torture. 28. And Micaiah said, If thou return at all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he saith, Hear ye peoples, all of you. Before they haul Micaiah off to prison, he says to the whole company, If what I say doesn't come true, then the Lord has not spoken through me. Which also means in reverse, if what I say does come true, then the Lord has spoken through me. 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah went up to Ramoth-Gilead. They went up to fight Aram. 30. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into the battle, but put thou on thy robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. He's going in as a coward. He wants to look like another soldier so that they can't find him and capture him. But he's telling Jehoshaphat, you go in looking like a king and that way they'll be able to find you. What a coward. 31. Now the king of Aram had commanded the thirty and two captains of his chariots, saying, Fight neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. The king of Aram only wants Ahab to die, and he's telling his commanders, Don't fight the other soldiers, just look for Ahab. 32. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out, Jehoshaphat has been succored by Ahab. He didn't realize that Ahab intended that the Arameans would think that he was Ahab. 
33. And it came to pass when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. Jehoshaphat cried out and said, I am not Ahab. And so they recognized that he wasn't Ahab and they left him alone and went looking for Ahab. 34. And a certain man drew his bow at a venturer and smote the king of Israel between the lower armor and the breastplate, which means he got hit, I think, in the gut or the loins. It's hard to say somewhere around there. But he got hit by a random soldier who didn't even know that he was killing the king. Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thy hand and carry me out of the host, for I am sore wounded. The host is the army. He's telling his chariot driver, Get me off the battlefield, I'm wounded. Now he's been wounded by somebody who didn't even know that he was king. Wearing regular clothing didn't save his life. It actually got him killed because if that soldier had known that he was king, that soldier might have been too afraid to wound him. But since he thought he was a regular soldier, he wasn't afraid to wound him. 35. And the battle increased that day, and the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Arameans and died at even, and the blood ran out of the wound into the bottom of the chariot. The king propped himself up in the chariot, but he ended up bleeding to death while he was propped up. The bottom of the chariot was full of his blood when he died. 36. And there went a cry throughout the host, meaning the army, about the going down of the sun, saying, Every man to his city and every man to his country. They're saying, Our king is dead. Run. 37. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. 38. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. The harlots also washed themselves there, according unto the word of the Lord which he spoke. The prostitutes bathed in the same pool where Ahab's blood was getting spilled. So the dogs licked his blood, and then what blood they didn't lick was poured into the bath for prostitutes, meaning other men's semen and all kinds of filth is in that pool. This is very humiliating to Ahab. 39. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house which he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? The archaeologists have found fragments of ivory that were made for a house in that region, so I'm sure that's part of Ahab's house. 40. So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah his son reigned in his stead. Ahaziah is the next king of the ten tribes of Israel, but not the king of Judah. And Ahaziah is going to lose the crown, because God prophesied that. 41. And Jehoshaphat the son of Asa began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab king of Israel. This is backtracking to the beginning of Jehoshaphat's reign. 42. And Jehoshaphat was thirty and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and five years, twenty-five years, in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shili. 43. And he walked in all the way of Asa his father. He turned not aside from it, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Jehoshaphat was a good king. 44. Howbeit the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and offered in the high places. Some people were still practicing paganism in Judah. 45. And Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Between Judah and Israel, they did not have any wars during Jehoshaphat's reign. 
which was nice. 46. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed, and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And we will be reading those books after we get done with the second kings. 47. And the remnant of the Sodomites that remained in the days of his father Asa he put away out of the land, meaning he got rid of male temple prostitutes, which is a pagan ritual and a sin. He got rid of all of them in Israel. 48. And there was no king in Edom, a deputy was king. Remember earlier when there were three kings at the same time, when Omri, Tibni, and Jehoshaphat were king? Well, now it's Jehoshaphat and Ahab and a deputy over the other part, an unnamed deputy. 49. And Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold, but they went not, for the ships were broken at Ezion Geber. He invested in ships that would go to Tarshish, which is southern Spain, to get gold, but his ships all broke up in the harbor. Maybe there was a storm that destroyed his ships, so that investment completely sunk. 50. Then said Ahaziah the son of Ahab unto Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with thy servants in the ships, but Jehoshaphat would not. Ahaziah the king of Israel said, Okay, since your ships are destroyed, let my servants go with your servants in new ships. But Jehoshaphat didn't want to go in on an investment like that with the king of Israel. He had already lost a lot of money investing in the first set of ships, so he didn't want to invest in another set of ships. 51. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers, meaning that he died, and was buried with his fathers in the city of David his father, and Jehoram his son reigned in his stead. Jehoram is the seventh king of Judah, a direct descendant of King David. 52. Ahaziah the son of Ahab began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He began to reign while Jehoshaphat was still alive. 53. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father, and in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, wherein he made Israel to sin. He was a bad king, and he led Israel into pagan worship and pagan sacrifice. 54. And he served Baal, and worshipped him, and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, according to all that his father had done. Ahaziah is evil as his father was, and he also is going to die very, very young. So far, every single son who reigns after an evil father, when God had prophesied that he would take the kingdom during the son's reign, those evil sons always reign for only two years. Very interesting. That happened to Bassa, and it's now happening to Ahaziah, and I think it happened to Nadab. These are two-year reigns for these sons. And that concludes 1 Kings chapter 22, and it also concludes the book of 1 Kings. In the next episode, we'll be reading in 2 Kings, and we'll learn more about the other kings of Judah and Israel.